Thomas, I want you to picture it, man. 1959, 1960, Detroit, and this little building right, you know, downtown Detroit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, nonchalant, doesn't really hit you, but out of this building become some of the greatest artists, greatest musical geniuses, and just all around influences on pop culture that we'll ever know. And man, I'm telling you, I'm so pumped to do this episode with you because I'm talking little Hitsville, USA, Motown. Mm-hmm. The you know, this is to me is right up there with the Beatles, where this is just creme of the creme for as far as pop culture. And I'm so pumped to do this with you, my man. Yeah, this is a huge one, man. And you mentioned Hitsville, and we've talked about this, but I kind of feel ashamed a little bit because I married my wife is from Michigan. She's from a town a little north of Detroit. I've been to Detroit, and I don't know. I needed to. I've needed to make a point to go to Hitsville, USA, and I, I just haven't done it. So, like oh. next time I'm in Detroit, visiting my mother-in-law, hanging out with the good people of Michigan, I need to go make a pilgrimage to Hitsville, man. Like you've you made it clear to me, uh, or you brought it up, and I made it clear to myself. Like, I can't believe I haven't been to Hitsville. Yeah, yeah, you know, I have family, still not as much as I used to, but family out in Detroit, and so I've been by the building quite a few times. Um, I, I If I went in once, I, I don't remember, but I know I've driven by it quite a few um, when I was younger, and it's something that you think of Motown and all the greats that come from it, and when you see that building... It's like really like it's it's yeah. still like I've seen picture of it and yeah. it's really nondescript. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that's the thing. It's like all you're just thinking this huge. You just, you just think like this huge building must be it because you know all the names and we're going to get into them. But you know it's this small little building, but out of it, it just it produced such yeah. great moments, great memories, and man, I don't know if we'll ever. I think. At best, we can top it in the future of an episode that will have a greater story than what we're going to talk about today. And that's our Pop Culture 5 Essential Motown Songs. I'm Jeremy Dove, joined by my main man, Thomas Senna. And welcome, everyone, to Pop Culture 5. And this one is just so incredibly important to both of us, I know. I know we both have a great connection. And Thomas, I want to know what's your connection with Motown? So in our Beatles episode, I had talked about how I share the Beatles with my mom. That's something that really bonded us and both of us love it. Motown is something that my dad and I really share. Okay. So my dad was really big into Motown, into oldies. I remember as a kid driving around with him, he would put it on a Cool 102 in Albuquerque and listen to all those oldies. And there was so much Motown that 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 I listened to and absorbed as a kid. And my dad would just talk it up. He was so passionate about it. My dad's even to this day, my dad's favorite is Smokey Robinson. My dad's a smoky guy. So so everything like I think I've even got him like a Smokey Robinson CDs back in the day for for Christmas and stuff. And even I was talking to him about this episode um, last week, the, uh, not too long ago, and he was telling me, oh, and he, he, he was like, I, I discovered like Smokey Robinson. Did you know he has a, has a satellite radio station? He's like, I love listening to my dad. I got my dad talking about Smokey <laughs> all over again. And he, so it was just me and my dad driving around listening to the oldie station in Albuquerque and me just absorbing these 
soulful, amazing songs. And uh, it's just so, it's a very sentimental thing to me, quite honestly, like something that my dad and I really share. It's like basketball is a huge one with me and my dad. And then like oldies and Motown and stuff is something that I definitely got from my dad. No, that's awesome. And it's, uh, for me, it's, it's just everywhere because it's, it's honestly one of the things, it's both parents, it's grandparents, aunts, uncles, like I said, having some family in Detroit. Uh, this is everything, honestly, it's up there where, you know, music is such a great, uh, it brings people together. I think food and music really have those things where it can just matter what your background, you have good food, you have you know, great food or great music, people can just kind of jam. And for that little bit of time, whatever's on your mind, whatever's worrying you, hey, you're jamming with this person who maybe in every other aspect of life, you're not sure if you'd be vibing with. But with music, you do. And I can tell you what, man, for family, I just think of so many times finding old records, watching old tapes of things. Motown was a different events, different shows, was stopping everything, you know? It was like, hey, the Jacksons, the American Dream, that miniseries. We stopped what we were doing, and the whole time, everybody was watching that. That's you know? my house, too, man. Yeah, Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, the Temptations, even that, like, you know, uh, made-for-TV series, everyone was watching it. All these songs, um, I probably can go to my parents' house in the basement and still find Motown 25, and, you know, even that, right, it's a Motown celebration. It's 25 years. It's just, oh, reflecting on the oldies and all that stuff. From that night, back in what, 82, 83, mm-hmm. we get one of the seminal pop culture nights ever with Michael Jackson doing Billie Jean and breaking out the moonwalk. The moonwalk, so yeah. Even then, Thomas, like, still, they were still, like, setting the trends. It's just unbelievable. I think people, is, a lot of people assume that the moonwalk thing happened at the Grammys, but they, it didn't happen at the Motown, uh, the 25th anniversary of Motown. Correct. But I think that's a mis, uh, a misnomer is like, oh, Michael Jackson, when he moonwalked at the Grammys, I'm like, nope, they were celebrating Motown that night, they were my celebrating friend. celebrating Motown, man. Yes. It was. And it's just so many great things. And even, right, um, 2020 with the quarantine and you're not seeing many people. And some of the few people I was seeing, it was like my parents and my brother and, and my niece and everything. And one of the great, you know, things that brought people together was this awesome documentary. I'm not sure if you saw it, Thomas, but um, it's on Showtime and, and you can see it on Paramount Plus if you have it, but it's called Hitsville, The Making of Motown. And I think it came out like 2018, 2019 okay. around then, but just an unbelievable documentary just brings up the memories, but really gives props to the artists, but also the people behind the closed doors, you know, and we know Motown starts with the story of, Barry Gordy, but almost just as important is the man who you said your dad loves, Smokey Robinson. Like those two guys are really at the core of building what Motown became. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just such and the the, the vastness of the artists and the songs and even the years. Like yeah. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I kind of kept for the purposes of this exercise, I kept it to within a certain era. But Motown spans since 19th. It's still going. It's still, right? It's still going. Yeah. So, so uh, I think when I think of Motown, I think of like 60s, 70s primarily. 
but the, what they built is lasting. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Philly guy. Boys to Men, End of yep. the Road was like such a huge hit. You know, one of the biggest hits in Billboard history. That was part of Motown. And I found that out much later. I, I mean, I knew Boys to Men, of course, loved them being a Philly dude. But it was like, oh, they were on Motown? That's crazy. Like, all those great hits that they had. And that's in the 90s. So they were still doing it. Yeah, different genres, too, under Motown. It's kind of wild when you look at all the artists that are associated with Motown. It's like genres that you wouldn't even think. It's pretty great. Yeah, Smokey, Barry, Gordy, just what they built is is absolutely incredible and just means a lot to me i'm curious like so so i said that you know when i think of motown and then for this exercise picking our five essential motown songs i kind of kept it to a certain era in my thinking because when i when i think of motown it's to me it transports me to a time in which I wasn't alive yet, yeah. But it tr- transports me to a specific time and a feel. So I did keep my, I narrowed down my Motown to a specific time. I wonder, I'm wondering, like your thought process and thinking going into this, as far as like how, what do you think of Motown, and how did you narrow down your choices? Yeah, I, I definitely kept it to probably the same, the same kind of era, '60s, and I don't know about. This is one also I know we'll have a part two for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, so, um, but like thought about some 70s as well, but I kind of kept it to the 60s. I think that's just what you go back to because, you know, just like you know, we talked about it, and everyone's talked about it, what the Beatles did for pop music. I think Motown's right there with it and this changing it and the, the wave that we got in the 60s being a healing factor at a lot of difficult times in that turbulent era um, and also being being a big uh, unifier for this country and unifier for different people. Um, It just, what it did, what Motown means to America and black America, there's not enough words, you know, there's not enough time on the show, Thomas. I would keep you here. We would keep each other here for two weeks straight, you know. You, <laughs> I'd have to apologize to Melinda for you missed the holidays, <laughs> the new year. It just wouldn't be fair. So it's just like it, there's not enough words that what it means and it's what it's at the core of so much. And, like, I, I honestly, to be real with you, when we were doing the show and you gave me the honor of picking the first episode, I know it went with Tom Hanks. What I wanted to do was Motown, but I'm like, man, that's really reaching for the stars. Yeah. For our first episode. You want so to like, get a little established. Yeah. Maybe. I'm like, let me yeah. let's get that flow going. So it's <laughs> this is what I've wanted to do from the jump, man. Yeah, this is a heavy hitter for both of us. Definitely, Jeremy. And you you mentioned so I think Motown grew with the consciousness of America. In some ways. So when it's when you saw Motown in like the late 50s, early 60s, a lot of the lyrical content, a lot of how the music sounded was different than even from like the mid 60s, late 60s. So you saw things get more socially aware just in the country as a whole, maybe around the mid right. to late 60s. I think you could track that with a lot of Motown songs, too, in the lyrical content and some of which we may get to today. But I think you could track what was going on in the country by listening to how Motown progressed in that time. Yeah, and a lot of times that was some of the the inner friction, you could say, with Barry Gordy sure. 
and certain artists and Barry Gordy and certain even writers and producers was as like from like you said the early 60s progressed and Barry was like hey I want to make it you know accessible to everybody I yeah he didn't want to ruffle feathers too much Barry Gordy he was you know resistant to some of the some songs and changes yeah exactly and then as the later decade later on as the decade progressed a lot of people were saying hey we see what civil rights we see with the Vietnam War and all these different issues we can't help but express what's going on inside our hearts and we can't Mm -hmm. help it and to Barry Gordy I mean there was some pushing and shoving I think but you can make the case that a lot of Motown's greatest work came after that, honestly, you know, when they kind of started being more socially active and socially aware in the music, which is insane because of what you had before was an unbelievable run. But a lot of like their greatest work came after in the late sixties into the seventies, you know, by certain artists. So it's, it's kudos to all of them. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. There's a reason why when you if you watch movies, like say it's a Vietnam War movie or a movie that's set in those times that that had a political consciousness. That's there's a reason why a lot of times you'll hear like a Motown song front and center for like pivotal times in the movie because I think it really does capture that urgency and spirit uh, of the times. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, and and this is something I think um, it's one of those. Uh, I'm sure you probably, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like when fandom of things and of even pop culture stuff or sports. And so people, I know people know your love of SNL, mine too, and our love of sports. And it's like, how do you know the assistant coaches and how do you know the head coaches and who played on what? A big part of that started here, honestly, where hearing these songs and being like, oh, this other great artist wrote this song for this great artist. And who were the writers? And knowing about the, I mean, a great documentary about the Funk Brothers yeah. and all that. And then Holland, Dozier, Holland, and, you know, Norman Whitfield and um, Ashford and Simpson, just different writers who were great artists in their own right. What Smokey Robinson did, you know, um, they were great artists, but then they also went on and contributed and helped to spread that love and share the wealth with their fellow artists and create just amazing music yeah so you're just such a fan that you're just so compelled to find out the inner workings and who wrote what and who partnered with who you're right that's what happens in sports fandom my wife sometimes freaks out people who know me they're like how do you know that random sports stat or how do you know the starting lineup of like the uh uh the 84 tigers or 89 pistons or something i don't know i just do it's just something i'm interested in i just do it's just stuck with me and, and this yeah. Motown's one of the first times I really can remember doing that was like, oh, this person was on that and this person and Smokey Robinson wrote this song for the yeah. Temptations. Like what? Like unbelievable. Like it was. Yeah. And that was something I don't and I I never really told them, but I think um, my parents did. They were the ones as a kid saying that, like, you know, Smokey Robinson wrote this song, right? Really? It's like, what, what? You know Marvin Gaye was on this song. What? He was? And I don't think they knew they were creating a monster, but <laughs> yeah. they, they were. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, this will be a fun one. I'm like chomping at the bit to Let's, find out. All week I've been like, what's Jeremy going to pick? I was just I know. so curious. I know, man. This is great. So for those uh, listening, uh, since I'm the host this week, I have three. Thomas has two, but he has veto power. This is going to be in that, if you listen to our Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode, where 
if Thomas he can veto all day long and I'll be I'll be good. I'll be like, oh, let's roll, baby. Yeah. Like But bottomless a, vetoes. We're red robin here. Exactly. Bottomless vetoes today. Exactly. No. Jeremy exactly. won't mind that. <laughs> I won't mind it. I won't mind it. So, you know, let's uh if you're ready, Thomas, I'm ready. Absolutely. So let's dig in, man. So I'm gonna go back to nineteen sixty three and for my first choice. We're probably going to mention it. I know we will. Just so many geniuses have emerged from Motown, so many different artists. But I think the greatest, in my opinion, and, and if people want to argue it, I can understand it because there's so many. The greatest goes to this young man. And this song, when he made this song, he was a really young man. He was 12 years old. And I'm talking about Little Stevie Wonder. Okay. And I'm going to his first number one hit. Motown's second number one hit. I'm going with Fingertips Part 2 as my first choice for essential Motown songs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clap your hands just a little bit louder. Clap your hands just a little bit louder. To me, the birth of a genius right there because Stevie had come in and Barry Gordy, Clarence Paul, who was a uh, Stevie's handler and a uh, 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 you know a manager and you know worked at Motown, they didn't know what to do with Stevie. They didn't know how to market him. They knew he was a talent, but uh, they had tried putting him on some jazz. They tried even doing obviously Stevie being blind. He did his homage, a tribute to Uncle Ray, you know Ray Charles. They didn't know what to do, but where Stevie was thriving was on these Motown tours and these tours which. There's sometimes I wish I could go back in time, and, and this is one of those times, being there for Motown. If I had a time machine, I'd be there just to see all this stuff happening. But Stevie was killing it on the tours. And one night in Chicago, Stevie uh, was keeping people off the stage, and he did Fingertips Part 1, which is a different song. It's a nice song, but then all of a sudden, he kind of did his own impromptu and I think what's also cool about this, Thomas, is, you know, Marvin Gaye, the great, the Prince of Soul, he wasn't as big time yet. He was on the drums, but uh, they're just jamming. And all of a sudden, Stevie kind of starts doing this impromptu. Everybody say, yeah. And everyone starts kind of, the whole crowd gets into it. And Stevie starts jamming. Say, yeah. Motown was big on, there was love, but there was competition. So he wanted to keep the other artists from getting on the stage and coming out there. So he starts doing this impromptu and jamming on his harmonica. And what Fingertips was known for was Stevie playing on the bongos. But then they, there's no harmonica in Fingertips Part 1. But all of a sudden, Stevie brings out the harmonica and he starts jamming. And then the band has to just keep up with him. And it becomes just one of the great impromptu, great live performances ever. It becomes Motown's second number one. Okay. It becomes the first 
live song to go number one on Billboard. It also is Stevie becomes the first artist due to this song to have the number one song and number one album simultaneously. And something that really I think people don't talk enough about is it's 1963 when this song is released. In August of 63, the week of the March on Washington, when Dr. King gives his I Have a Dream speech, this song is the number one song on the Billboard 100. Oh, wow. Which yeah. I think people don't talk about enough of how important that was from, he was, I think, 13 when the song hit number one. He was 12 when he did the live performance. But this young man, while Dr. King's given that speech, the number one song in America is... Stevie, Little Stevie Wonder, Fingertips Part 2. Um, I think it's just great when you have, um, you, you have the, the, the bass player, Joe Swift, coming out. What note? What key? What key? He's just trying to keep up, just trying to see what's going on. I think it's just one of the great songs ever. And because of who Stevie became, I don't think it gets mentioned. And that's a credit to him and the amazing career he had. But the first number one hit he had, something that put him on the map, Fingertips Part 2. So that's my first choice. First nominee for mm-hmm. Essential Motown songs. Awesome. I love I love Stevie Wonder so so much. Uh I want to I know how important this song is. I haven't listened to it in a long time. I listened to a lot of Stevie <laughs> in prep for this, but I didn't go back to like 12-year-old Stevie. Uh I want to ask you permission. I'm not going to veto this uh cuz I remember like I I do like the song. I just want I want to have fresh ears. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talking for, about uh, it. So if I want to, do, do you mind if I listen to it? Absolutely, man. Fingertips quick? part two, baby. All right. So we'll be back. Uh, I'm going to listen to Fingertips part two so I can have fresh ears uh, <laughs> when I talk about this and uh, my love for Stevie Wonder as well. Absolutely. Come on, All right, Jeremy. Uh, I just listened to Fingertips Part Two. You saw me, so I was on video. I put on, <laughs> I just put on my headphones. So Jeremy is watching me like jam to it and shake my head and yell, "Yeah!" And I was jamming that. with you, man. Yeah, man. So I, I love, of course, I love that song. Uh, it's just been a while since I heard it. I can't believe Stevie Wonder was just twelve. He was just a kid doing a this, kid. commanding the crowd. Making this music, can you imagine if you were Barry Gordy or anybody at Motown and you saw this kid have total command of his music and and the stage like this? Like, like prodigy is a light word for yeah. something like this. Yeah, seeing, uh, watching, and I commend anyone to watch it. Like, I, I hope they do. That Hitsville, the making of Motown doc. And seeing uh, Martha Reeves from Martha and Vandellas say, we didn't know what a genius was when Stevie Wonder, and then we were like, we saw him play every instrument and command the crowd, like you said, Thomas, and they were like, oh, that's that's what a genius is. Like, that's what a genius <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, okay, oh, we man. understand now. And it's like, just, uh, and I think that's just it. Like, I think um, geniuses, ge- the word genius gets thrown around a lot. I know I'm not one. So, so it's really, you know, so I know, hey, I'm off the on anything. But um, even in music, I think it gets thrown around. There's, there's, there's levels to it. But I think Stevie Wonder is up there, the upper echelons of genius when it comes to music from the 20th century to now. It's him. And, and to me, this is the, 
this is the start right here. Yep. And just what it meant for Motown, you know, I think that's Motown's first number one album, which came from this single. I know we're doing songs, but just how essential, not just how great and we're both jamming to it and everyone jams to it, but just how essential it is for Motown. Their second number one hit on the Billboard 100 in 1963 so this is before even the beatles come to america all those different things stevie is is jamming and i just think it's fascinating that at the same time of the i have a dream speech that same week the number one song in america is little stevie wonder fingertips part two like i think that's just symbolic on so many levels yeah that's absolutely wild and so when i'm when i go into these episodes and you're the host i tend to have like four maybe five narrowed down to come into our episodes and talk talk about stevie wonder a stevie wonder song was on my list it made the final cut as something that i was going to be ready to talk about if (laughs) if i so chose so he's like one of those seminal artists not just in motown to me just in music in general absolutely stevie wonder is one of those artists that that just had such an impact on me as a kid, I remember um, when I got my first record player, the one album that my mom and dad like let me have from their collection was Talking Book. Wow, yeah. Yeah, because they knew that I loved it so much. And yeah. they said, here, how you could have, have Talking Book to like start your record collection. I'm like, that yep. meant that meant a lot. I still have Talking Book and Inner Visions and Song in the Songs in the Key of Life on vinyl there in my record collection yeah. to this day throw it on every now and then those songs mean so much to me and i thought he was a prodigy releasing talking book when he was like 21 22 or something releasing this song (laughs) fingertips part two like like when he was when he was just a teen preteen or whatever (laughs) like it's just incredible insane yeah yeah i can't say enough great things about about stevie wonder man like he's he's an artist that just had such an impact on musically for me he he helped bond me and my family my dad and i of course like share stevie wonder uh earlier uh in 2023 it was like uh the most starstruck i've been in a while Jeremy, i've i met stevie wonder did you <laughs> in early 2023 I, i'm not i shouldn't i uh, yep I don't, I don't know if you would if, if when i told you that you would think that i was kidding or not no no but, now i know i'm it, I'm ready for everything with you now. Like, but you, it was amazing, man. Like, he has this. He had people just like in awe of him. So, so it was at this. It was in Anaheim. It was at a technology conference, an assistive technology. And Stevie goes to this conference every year. Yes, uh, I have seen that on YouTube and everything. Yeah. So I, I was at that conference working, and I had heard rumblings like, "Oh, Stevie comes to this event or whatever." And so I'm like, "Oh, that'd be cool, meet Stevie." Like, but I didn't think I was gonna like be able to catch him at the right time or whatever. So I was just standing at my booth, just kind of doing my thing. And then I kind of like looked to my left, kind of glanced to my left and around the corner walked Stevie wonder and like two, two or three people around him. And I was just like, it stopped in my tracks and I was like, Oh my gosh, that's Stevie wonder. Oh my gosh. And then, so he's walking, walking, he comes up to our booth and he asks like what we have at our booth. So I was trying to like keep my stuff together, explaining to him what we do my coworker was like, "Oh my God, Stevie Wonder too!" And yeah, I, and people were just like gravitating toward him. People were trying to stop him. He was very generous with his time, 
and I, I didn't want to bug him. And, you know, like I, I just, I, I just said, it was very nice to meet you. Thank you for attending the conference. I, a few people I saw stop him and wanted to tell him like how much his music meant to them. So I saw that happen firsthand. People stopping Stevie and telling him that you mean so much to me. I kind of wanted to, I was like, man, I should have told him. But I'm like, he knows, like, I don't know. Just something told me that like, he knows how much his music means to me. Like I didn't need to tell yeah. him, like he just knows. So, so it was just like, I, I don't really get starstruck, honestly, but like seeing Stevie Wonder and like being able to talk to Stevie Wonder even for like a minute and a half or two minutes was just like uh, that's that, like, incredible. Yeah, that was it, it was amazing. So nah, he he's he's my favorite artist of all time. Really? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen him live? No, I haven't. My my parents have. I have not. Concerts. I I'm starting to get into more now. I never hmm. was a concert. I, ha- I mean, and to be fair, I've gone to more concerts, and I can even say some for this episode, more than I even, like, think about. I've thought of, like, if I sit there and think about them. But, like, um, I I never was the biggest concert goer all the time, but I'm starting to do a little bit more now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't see Stevie. But he's someone, if I would have had the chance even back then, I would have saw. Oh, yeah. Because um, he's just, he's he is my, I, I don't know. I just think it's hard to f- name a bad Stevie Wonder song. He has masterpiece album after masterpiece album. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's amazing. Yeah, so um, the song that I was gonna mention was Superstition. That that was like I, I had it. I was gonna narrow it down. I'm like, which Stevie should I pick? But Superstition's the one I landed on. Yeah, but but it could have been so many, <laughs> so many songs. Yeah, you, I wonder if you you probably have seen this, but I I also want our our listeners to if you haven't go look up. Stevie Wonder doing Superstition on Sesame Street. And it's one of the most amazing performances of all time. And he tore Sesame Street. He tore it out. And Thomas, I mean, Big Bird and Oscar ain't been the same since. No. I mean, he just, it was a performance. And I've played this. I really did not deep dive it until quarantine. And then I played this for my dad, and I go, "Have y'all ever seen this?" They're, and their music guys, like dad, my brother, my mom, and they're like, "No." And and it's like, and I've heard Stevie doing Superstition on different performances. Never have I heard it like he did on Sesame Street back in like it was like '73 when Superstition came out, mm-hmm. and he's just the whole band's just getting down. Very superstition. Nothing more to say. If you haven't seen it, Tom, like I want to know what you think because they just rip like it is unreal. Like, yeah, I, I like, have I have seen that. It's been yeah. a while, but I have seen that, and mm-hmm. so I I know of I know of that performance. Yeah, yeah, it it was awesome, man. Yeah, I, he's on my bucket list. I've never seen him. I've seen a lot of concerts in my day. I've never seen Stevie Wonder live, so he's definitely like okay. I would love to see him at some point. Yeah, yeah, same here. I, that's one I think I'll. uh Funny before the show, we were talking about budgeting and everything. That's mm-hmm. one outside of like the essentials. I'll go, I'll be like, you know what? I can just eat, you know, Captain Crunch cereal yeah. for my meals for yeah. a couple of weeks to go see Stevie Wonder. Like he, he's that high up where I'm like, I got to go see Stevie. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to as well. So we got a great choice, man. That's oh, thank you. Thank you, man. Wonderful choice. 
number two. I want to hear your your first number one. So I get the choice. This is our uh, second choice for uh, essential Motown songs that we feel like talking about today. Uh, I'm going to talk about um, a song that I think a lot of people think this, but I think it's one of the all-time greatest songs ever by anybody, like in, in any genre. <laughs> um, if I had to make a list, which I have before, I'm pretty sure I put this song in the top 10, comfortably in the top 10 of my all-time favorite songs. And I think it's just one of the greatest songs ever made uh, from 1971. It's Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Talk to me so you can see This is classic, written by Al Cleveland. So we're talking about like different writers and people who were instrumental in Motown. Uh, this was uh, Mr. Al Cleveland wrote this song. Jeremy, this was almost a four top song. This mm. was really close to being a four top song. Uh, Ronaldo Benson from the Four Tops uh, had an experience. Um, he witnessed uh, Bloody Thursday in Berkeley and relayed this to Al Cleveland. And Al Cleveland wrote a song. Presented it to the four tops. The rest of the guys, Benson was behind it, but the rest of the guys in the band um, didn't really want to take that on necessarily. So then he, Al Cleveland approached Marvin Gaye about it, and Marvin made this song. He put his own flavor on it, man. He said he made this song better. Marvin put like a new melody and some new lyrics into the song, and Marvin made this like a Marvin song. You know, when I, when I really think about like what I love about the music that I like, it's urgency to me that appeals the most. I think like give me a song where I can feel like the urgency where, whether it's in the music or whether it's in the, the singer's voice that like that, that the urgency in what they're saying or how it sounds. And it makes me stand up is what really draws me to songs that I love and what's going on has that urgency has so much heart. You know, when he gets just like so into it and hits that that like that always gives me chills and it stands out to me like th this song is almost perfect this is almost like a perfect song to me Jeremy yeah no absolutely um it's a perfect song on a a perfect album mm -hmm. um i think this arguably is maybe the the best piece of work motown ever produced it is is marvin gay what's going on that whole album this song um, and that says a lot because Motown produced so much, but I think just the genius that Marvin showed on it at a time in his life when he was really going through it, we, you know, Marvin Gaye was a very sensitive soul mm -hmm. and for him going through it with just his brother had, you know, been in Vietnam and had seen things and hearing those stories, as you said, what, um, Mr. Benson has seen it. You know, Marvin depressed after Tammy Terrell, you know, he was such great friends with Tammy Terrell and her death, you know, in 1970 really affected him and, you know, collapsing in his arms on stage. And and he was, you know, really lost at this time, looking to he had tried out with the Detroit Lions. If he's going to be a football player, he had tried getting, you know, getting in the shape like um, just not sure if he wanted to sing anymore. And Barry Gordy was not really feeling this. This is nope. a protest song, protest album. 
and you know Marvin fought for it, and Marvin kind of did a, a lot of the instruments you hear on it. Marvin's playing; mm-hmm. it's Marvin doing it, and um, it's just amazing. And you know, we're recording this on de- December eighth, mm-hmm. and there's certain days in music that stick out. December eighth is one of them. You know, John Lennon was killed. Uh, April eighth of ninety four. A lot of people finding out about Kurt Cobain. You know, for a lot of people in my family, definitely a lot of people in the black community, a lot of people in the, just America, you know, April 1st, 84 is a day that the music died when Marvin yeah. was killed by his father. And yeah. um, the effects of that, I, I know, you know, I have a cousin who was named after him, you know, named wow. after, you know, my oldest cousin was named after Marvin Gaye and just the effects that that death had on so many people and just thinking about him and thinking about mm-hmm. the music that he left and the unbelievable work that this song is, you know, you can make a case. It's the greatest protest song of all time. It's just, uh, it's a beautiful choice, man. And, and it's a beautiful song by, you know, the Prince of soul, Marvin yeah. Gaye. I couldn't, I couldn't let an essential discussion slide without, without bringing up what's going on to, this is again, a perfect song to me. Uh, musically, like I just love how like orchestral it sounds in parts. Like it really oh, yeah. just like soars. This song soars along with with Marvin's voice, like like two minutes in, it it just kicks in when he just kind of goes like mother mother, everybody thinks we're wrong, and you can hear the urgency in his voice and in the music oh, kind of start soaring around like that two minute mark. So just musically, it's just, I've heard this song I can't even count hundreds thousands I don't know I've heard this song so many times. And it still like gives me chills when when, when I listen to it. Uh, it. It's just that type of song, man. That that has that effect. And you had mentioned the Detroit Lions. Like a little nugget that I love about this song is like the background chatter, mm-hmm. like the guys talking. Mel Farr. Yeah, and, and Len Barney from mm-hmm. the Detroit Lions were one of those guys talking. Len Barney, of course, a Hall of Fame. Yeah, Detroit absolutely. Lion. Uh, that absolutely. was also LG Stover and the Funk Brothers, the aforementioned Funk Brothers, who mm-hmm. who um, did a lot. I mean, they were the house, basically the the session musicians, um, a big rotating cast of session musicians uh, from around that time. Uh, Eli Fontaine on saxophone, uh, doing that really soulful sax there. Uh, Eddie yeah. Brown on bongos, like I think the bongos add a nice touch to. It's just such a, uh, just one of those songs is just like perfect to me. Yeah, one of my ten favorite songs of all time, and an, an essential, essential, essential uh, Motown song in my opinion. Yeah, I think is an essential Motown song, an essential '70s song, essential just whatever you want to throw in there. Mm-hmm. It's essential from an essential artist in Marvin Gaye. So, Absolutely. Uh, nah, and and if, if anybody hasn't seen him do the national anthem at the NBA All-Star game, what year was that, 82? 
That was eighty three. It was the eighty three. So shortly before he passed, maybe a year before. It was the last time televised. Yeah. Thing he did before he died. You know? Great. I mean, like that. That was that his performance at the eighty three All Star Game was just. I mean, it was fantastic. People still talk about it. NBA folks talk about mm-hmm. it to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It it uh it helped change. Now you see different renditions of the national anthem. It was very controversial, and when he did it, it was controversial, sure. but it landed. And for an all-star game that's not really memorable, people remember that performance by, by Marvin Gaye. So, um, mm-hmm. no, unbelievable, man. Yeah. You're a Sixers fan. I'm sure Moses Malone had his way in that all-star game. I think Moses – I think he was MVP of that. Was Moses was or Doc? Moses. I think one of the two Moses were MVP. Or Doc. There you go. Yeah, yeah. 83 Sixers is my team, so <laughs> 83 is a special year. So Absolutely. don't get me wrong now, but um, nah, but that that's that's a great great choice, man. Um, if I could veto, I wouldn't even want to veto. Yeah, like, well, I would be shocked. Yeah. Would, like, you're yeah. trolling me, man. You're not Yeah. <laughs> but all right, so we have Stevie Wonder, Fingertips Part 2. Marvin Gaye, what's going on? And uh, you actually, in a way, you did a great segue for me, my friend, because of of the great, and we'll keep it just because there's a lot of great female voices, but for for my next one, we'll keep it. There's so many great male voices. You talk about Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, David Ruffin, Eddie Kendrick, so many great male just vocals. I think the one who is the most underrated is Mr. Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops. And you had mentioned, you know, Mr. Benson and the Four Tops and his connection with the What's Going On song. And I think one of the more underrated groups are the Four Tops, who, for a lot of people, you know, they think of the Temptations, obviously, is an amazing group. But the Four Tops, all the time there was a rivalry, like competition. Like you were a Four Tops fan or you were a, uh, a Temptations fan, you know, who better singer, Levi Stubbs or, you know, David Ruffin or, you know, Dennis Edwards and all those things. And I think the Four Tops have had so many hits, but I'm going to go with one that you talked about urgency and just hitting you. And which a lot of Motown songs has. I think that was a Barry Gordy thing to within the first 10 seconds, he wanted to get the audience in, but reach out. I'll be there by the Four Tops is one of the most passionate, powerful songs of all time. And just the urgency that you hear Levi mm-hmm. Stubbs and, and the whole group and just that that growl, just that, ah, I can feel. And then it just gets you going with it. And it's just, darling, reach out. And you just can feel that connection, man. And it's just like... It, it, it's romantic in a way. I'll be there, but honestly, it's a song brought up to like friends, whatever. Like, hey man, I'll be there for you. And it's just, it's a, the words are simple, but it's just hearing Levi Stubbs and that and the Four Tops and that voice is so powerful. And I think of just so many times, even the end of uh, of Cooley High, and you know that that last scene at the funeral and 
at, at Coach Heese's funeral and, and, and they're running and he's running away and they're playing that reach out. I'll be there at four tops and it just gets like the chills in me, man. And the four tops, obviously it wasn't the original group, but I remember one of the strangest, but it came out, came out the best Valentine's day. I was like 12 and, uh, my parents were like, well, we got tickets to the uh, the Four Tops at the Keswick Theater, and we got a third one. And I'm like, I don't want to go to this. Like, it's Valentine. That's for y'all. That's weird. And I had known the Four Tops, but I'm like, ain't the real group. So I'm like, what are we, what am I doing? And Tom, it wound up being one of the best nights. It was a concert, but it was just so cool to see the Four, like, you know, and it there was a Couple like one like one or two original members, but obviously they had some people filling in for it wasn't Levi Stubbs, but it still was just awesome to see them sing all those great hits and this being the one that just brought the house down and it's a song that I think everybody just knows and connects with. And I do think um the four tops may be of all the great Motown artists the most underrated in my opinion they and tend i think they get it, lost in the shuffle sometimes yeah yeah and if you look at all the hits that they have you'll be surprised i maybe not you in particular but like mm-hmm. a lot of people will be surprised of all the hits that the four tops had over that span and they were one of the perennial artists in groups for motown in that 60s decade you know going into like the 70s but i feel like people don't think of them and i think to Levi Stubb, which makes me like him even more, you know, as as time went on, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Diana Ross and the Supremes, they were talking about going to him, Levi Stubbs and, and the Four Tops, and he said no, he wanted to keep it the Four, he wanted to be the group, and I that made me like him even more and love the group even more because he stuck to that, and he was part of the Four Tops, and so for me, uh, the Four Tops, reach out, I'll be there, I think of a group that has so many signature songs, of a label that has so many signature songs, this is the group's signature song. I think it's one of the labels. If you really think mm-hmm. about it, one of their signature songs. So that's my my second nominee for Central Motown songs. Oh, when uh, when my dad and I were driving around listening to Cool 102 and stuff, this was probably one of my favorite songs that would come on. Yeah. I, I just loved it, and I couldn't place it. So if you would have asked like 10-year-old Thomas... Why do you like that song? I I wouldn't have been as eloquent, but thinking about it, like it is that urgency, it is that passion. It has one of the most iconic parts of any Motown song is when it's like a uh, uh, reach out to me, and then there's like that pause, mm-hmm. pause, and then you go, oh, oh yeah, there. like there. that that part yeah. is just like one of the most iconic parts of any Motown. So like when I think of Motown, that's one of the first parts of a song that will pop into my mind is that one uh f- from uh from reach out to me so like i think this is a this is a, a wonderful choice Darren. oh thanks this is like this is one of the songs too that was like on i made a, like a motown playlist and started pairing it down and so i put this one on uh one of their like before this that's the i can't help myself the sugar pie honey bunch that that was like one of their their first number one hit before this mm-hmm. uh i had heavily considered that uh, but, uh, it's just like the, um, the melding of their voices made this so, such a big song. And I think 
early Motown and early pop in general, a lot of it was very uh, like simple and stuff, but it wasn't as layered, especially vocally. But what something that Motown did really well was like layer vocals, layer instruments. They did that with Marvin Gaye on What's Going On. Mm-hmm. The, the the final version of What's Going On was two or three like multi. Uh, it's, it was different Marvin Gaye vocal tracks layered on top of one another. Mm-hmm. And so I think with, with the members of the four tops and their singing, you can almost feel it get big because you hear a bunch of different voices at the same time. And I, I just love how, how big the song feels, how passionate, how urgent. Uh, this is This is just a wonderful short list of like iconic Motown songs. Everybody yeah. knows this song. You're right. Everybody knows this song. Everyone this is- knows it. And I, and I'll be honest, right. When I, in the past, cause that's how often I've watched it. My family, like there's like a little skit, like there's like this, the four tops and the temptation. And there's always been like a whole oh, four tops or temptation. And at first I'm like, that's not fair. The temptations have way more. When you sit down and look at it, that's, it's, it is a competition mm-hmm. in a good way. It's a healthy one. I was it's kind not, of a four tops man myself. Yeah. I love the temptations, but I, I was drawn more toward the four tops. Same here. Same here. It's something that I think a lot of people it, like, and I didn't until I sat down and did it. It was like, Oh, the temptations have way more, but it's like, no, like, the four tops have so many hits, you know. Yeah. It's the same oh. old song, <laughs> just with it. And it's like how, like, uh, just like so many great songs that they have. Yep. Um, and the Temptations are great too. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like people think of oh, the the male group of Motown, the Temptations next, and it's like no, they're the, the four tops are right there too. I'm curious to see because I'm kind of going by what you're doing, bobbing and weaving as well. So, what's your mm. what's your your second choice? All right. So, when you when you said something about giving the the uh, females of Motown love, I thought you were gonna steal my artist. Oh, I was. <laughs> so I was. Just oh, I like, was. Oh, damn it! So <laughs> I was. I was. So I thought I, about it, but but it would have been fine because I would have been able to talk about them all the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I think the Supremes are one of the greatest musical acts of all time, not just in Motown, but just musical acts, period. They're my personal, for my money, they're my personal favorite Motown act out of anybody. Like you have Stevie, I love Stevie, I love Smokey, I love all of them, but the Supremes are my personal favorite Motown act. And they're probably in my top five or ten just favorite musical artists of all time. I think they're incredible and I, so going into this, I was like, okay, which Supreme song am I? Because I know I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna have a Supreme song on my list. I, I, yep. So, and I've talked to you about the Supremes before, so it probably doesn't come as a surprise to you that I speak about them in such a glowing way. So I'm gonna pick one from 1966, and it's "You Keep Me Hanging On" oh. by the Supremes. And I, I think you thought I was going to go somewhere else. And I, and if you want to, I'll tell you why I didn't. But I'll, so I'll, t- I'll talk about you keep me hanging on because I, I kind of know what you're thinking, Jeremy. I've talked about another Supreme song to you before. But um, I think I know why you didn't. Okay. But I'm interested in hearing why you picked this one for sure. Okay. You keep me hanging on. It's just for this time period, 
it, I mean, the song sounds incredible. I just love it's it's uh, Diana Ross, Florence Ballard, and Mary Wilson. Their voices are just so connected with each other during this song. This is one of those uh, Holland Dozier Holland songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had referenced them. This was written by Holland Dozier Holland, Brian Holland, Eddie Holland, and Lamont Dozier. I just love what this song's about, especially given for the time the time period. So the song starts out kind of nice. Like it's it's the Supreme saying, like kind of almost asking this this man in their life or in her life to like, you know, let set me free, let me go. Like, you know, I'm still uh, into you, you're keeping me on on the string there, but I want to move on and live my life. So they're starting out in a nice sort of way. And then they get a little more assertive as the mm-hmm. song goes along, and you could start feeling their oh, yeah. their their passion. You could start feeling their attitude a little bit coming get through. Out. Get a- absolutely, out of my yeah. Life. And then <laughs> and then towards the end of the song, Jeremy, and this is 1966. This is why I find it so funny. Toward the end of the song, they say, "Why don't you be a man about it?" And then I'm like, oh, I like, see you, Supreme. <laughs> it's like, damn. Yeah. Damn. They said, why don't you be a man about it? So it's just like this song has urgency, which I had referenced in, in my uh, What's Going On choice, has urgency both instrumentally and lyrically. It made it to the num- number one on the Billboard charts. It did make it to number one. It's just a, a, an amazing song, an essential song from one of the all-time greatest musical acts, in my opinion. No, absolutely. Um, this is my favorite Supreme song. It's my favorite, maybe my favorite Motown song. Mm. Um, I love this song that much. Oh my much. gosh, wow. It's, uh, like you mentioned, songs that are in your top 10. This is in my, for sure, my top 10 songs of all time. If I'm on a desert island and you give me 10 songs, this is on the list. The only complaint I have against this song is I wish it was even longer. Yeah, right. Is. Yeah, you, you know. Yeah, you want. I I wish. Uh, I wish the Supremes kept us hanging on for a little yeah. bit longer. To because like, it's, listen it's to like more. a three minute song. Is it three? Mm-hmm. Like three minutes, something like that. Like it, it, but it just like you said, it hits everything. And even just that opening, like I know that opening. Whenever I'm on, when I'm on the radio, like flipping through, driving around, that. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it on headphones, it's, it has a cool effect. It goes from left to right. Yeah, and I yeah. Like it's, it's, so it's really jarring. Like it's really in a good way. Like on headphones mm-hmm. too. Oh, it just gets you going, and it's just like it was one of those songs that back now we all have Bluetooth and people have Spotify and you're listening to your playlist or you're listening to you know a podcast, which is cool. I love that. But when you just had the radio, and there were times when you're driving around and you're like, oh, I like this song, but I can maybe do better. And then there were songs that like when you heard it, you stopped. This was top of that list. When this one came on, like the oldies, up, oh, we're good. People could be in the car. Oh, what about? No, 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 no. We're, we're stopping right here. Yeah. This is the jam right here. Yeah. It is a great song. The Supremes, I talk about my family and the, the connection that Motown has. 
the Supremes bring up a lot of arguments because my mom is one of five. She's one of six total, but there were five girls. And um, debates about they love Diana, they love Mary. Flor- my mom was a Mary fan. My Aunt Rose loved Diana Ross. So I, the Supremes were always there because it was always who they loved more. And it was like this competition between all those things. So I've, the Supremes have been in my brainwave since I can remember and Diana Ross has and um this song I think I think you're right it just all three of them just bringing it and just you're hearing that passion and just being in unison together but being in unison with that like you know enough's enough I love that and you're right it's very forward thinking for 1966 Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you on that I, I love this song I love this choice and it also produced uh, one of my all-time favorite cover songs as well. I'm a big rock fan. I love psychedelic rock. And Vanilla yes, Fudge Vanilla Fudge did an excellent cover, in my opinion, of this song. It's a really psychedelic, bluesy rock song. Amazing. But they kept that same urgent spirit of the song, Darren yeah. Vanilla Fudge did. and but, but they just did it in a psychedelic kind of rock sort of way. was used really well in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Took, I was going to say a very that, tense, yep. urgent scene. Mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino used the Vanilla Fudge version uh, because of because I think he wanted more harder edge uh, uh, to it. Was it was the right but, choice. It was the yeah, right choice. It was it. the right choice. So Vanilla Fudge's version of this is one of my all-time favorite cover songs because it kept true in spirit to mm-hmm. the original. Kim Wilde did a, a, a successful version of this in the 80s. Um, so, so it's, it's inspired like successful other versions, uh, of this song, uh, for sure, Jeremy. Um, and I, and I do want to say, uh, when people discuss young musicians who we tragically lost, I think Florence Ballard needs to get mentioned, uh, a little bit more. Absolutely. Uh, because we talk about, and I think people are fascinated by the 27 club. So mm-hmm. talk about Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison and Kurt Cobain um, but Florence Ballard, uh, one of uh, it was she and Diana Ross and Mary Wilson. Florence Ballard battled a lot of demons. The world lost her far too young. But not a lot of people talk about Florence Ballard and what an amazing vocalist and musician she was. And along with Diana Ross and Mary Wilson, like she was a groundbreaker. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. And uh, in my household, she was brought up so much, but mm-hmm. um, not brought up enough. She's part of a group that, no matter what genre you're looking at, produced some. If you look at the Billboards, the history of Billboard, the Supremes are up there for most hits, you know, by a female group or just anybody, no matter what gender. Uh, they produced the most, I think, definitely top 10 hits, but I think even number ones for Motown, I think, was the Supremes. I, I, I you know, so I think, you know, no matter male, female, whatever, you got to give props to uh, the Supremes and what they did in music history, not just Motown history. And and Florence definitely gets forgotten, you know, way too often in, in her effect because you're not talking about the history of pop music, of, of Motown, of just music in general without mentioning the Supremes and her name. 
Yeah, she passed in February of 1976. She was only 32 years old um, when she passed. But she and Mary Wilson and Diana Ross just had such a huge impact on music, all those number one hits. Uh, I think the, they, the, the way all of them sang with such like force and passion and attitude, uh, I, I just love it. I love this group. I, uh, the Supremes, one of my all-time favorite musical acts. Absolutely, man. That's so. Let me ask you: Why did you? Um, why didn't? What song were you going to take? Why did you choose well, this one? My favorite, "Love Child," is one of my all-time favorite songs. I think that's a perfect song. I th- had thought about it, and then I did some thinking, and I'm like, that's more of a Diana Ross song. That's and, what I thought too. Yeah. So, and I and I wanted something that showcased Diana, Florence, and Mary. And especially, you know, I love I love the song Love Child. It's like one of it's a desert island song for me. Um, but as far as a central, I wanted all three of, of them to be showcased and not just Diana Ross as much as I love Diana Ross. I, I agree. And I thought you were going to say that, but yeah. I wasn't sure. I, but I because I think uh, Love Child is, is it's Diana. Sure. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it a is. Diana song. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's to me, that's a perfect song. Um, but I'll leave it off in a central list right now. No, I understand that for sure. I got you. So that's, that's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm touched though, man. You picked a song that, uh, <laughs> that, that I didn't think, I knew you loved the Supremes. I thought you would have gone with another one of their hits, but yeah, I, okay. So this, this makes it tough. And you're they're, scrambling, Jeremy. Did I take your choice? Did I take a Supremes song? <laughs> no, uh, you didn't take a Supreme. What I uh, wanted to make sure that uh, definitely we had because Motown was innovative, definitely with female and in, in, in women, yes. and I wanted to make sure that was represented. And I figured you would do that, but I, I, I that's where I was going. And so there was two who I wanted to mention. I wanted to make sure females were mentioned. I want to make sure Marvin Gaye was mentioned. Mm-hmm. And those are my two that I'm going with. But I, 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 I'm going to go with another Marvin Gaye song. Okay. And I'm going to go with one that comes with they. It got covered so. There's a few versions of it, but I'm going to go with Marvin Gaye. I heard it through the grapevine. I think what's going on is is Marvin's signature song. I think this is like a close second. And this was Motown's like this was their their big hit, honestly, like one of their biggest selling singles. And the fact that um started off, I believe Smokey did it. It didn't really get anywhere. And then uh Norman Whitfield, the story behind it, he was pestering Barry, I have a great song, I have a good song, I have a good song. And Barry's like, get out of here, Barry Gordy, get out of here, get out of here. So he records it with Marvin, and Barry's like, no, 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 I don't want it. And so then it does it with Gladys Knight and the Pips, which is a great version in itself. I like that. I heard through the grapevine as well. But if the so for people listening, keep up with what I said here is that he recorded it with Marvin 
before Gladys. It got released Gladys before Marvin. And if you watch the uh, Motown documentary, there's a good part about that with Barry Gordy and, and Smokey Robinson. It's really funny. But once Barry heard Gladys, he's like, all right, I like this. And they were big. Motown was big on other artists. Hey, you do a song, but then somebody else, they, they do, you know, they're, they're the remix before the remix. You know, we give Diddy credit, but Motown, you can really <laughs> give props to. Um, but then they put out Marvin's version. And I think for as great of a voice, and to me, Marvin's a top 10 voice of all time, maybe top five, just... If there's a song I can think of that really just hits his voice, it's this one. And just seeing him just jam. And, like, you see live. You can go on YouTube and see performances, him behind a piano and just nailing it. And I think I heard it through the grapevine is – you can make a case this is – it's up there as well with Motown's, like, signature song due to the fact of all the artists who covered it and the great classics with it, but just Marvin's version and how big of a hit and that going to number one – and just really, really setting up Marvin and establishing him. You know, he had had those duets with Tammy Terrell, and those are great songs too. But him doing I Heard It Through the Grapevine just brings the house down. Yeah, if you would have picked a different Marvin song, I, I might have been more inclined to veto it just to get like more some variety on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, if you so if you would have picked like Sexual Healing or Let's Get It On or something, yeah. I would have been like, all right, Jeremy, let's see what else you have in the bag. But I Heard It Through the Grapevine is such a perfect choice. Yeah, I to me like it, it's I love the what stands out to me about this song is I love the kind of moodiness of it. The thing that makes the song soar is is Marvin's voice yeah. bring it out of the moodiness but I think musically it's more so like a, a droning in a good way but it's more so just kind of down tempo I like how it starts the dun 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 and it's just more so just like chill and moody and then like Marvin's passion like mm-hmm. slices through that So I like that juxtaposition of like the more down tempo moody ish nature of the song with Marvin just cutting through that with his voice. This is just a, a really iconic song. Uh, I had this on my short list too. Okay. I think uh, I, I deleted it from my list because I was like, I'm going to go with what's going on. So I deleted, I heard it through the grapevine off of my playlist. Uh, but uh, this is, this was always like one of my, Favorite Motown songs. And have you heard, uh, I think YouTube, I think it's still on YouTube. I think uh, there's an isolated just Marvin's voice singing mm-hmm. this song. Yes. And it's just powerful. It's just amazing. Like that man was incredible. Ooh, I bet you're wondering how I knew about your plans to make me blue with some other guy. You knew before between the two of us guys, you know I love you more. And to me, it kind of is a a little bit of a like they're starting to transition into, but it, it's 
I don't know if people connected. I could be off to what Norman Whitfield was. You know, he listened to a lot of the Temptation songs in this era, like the late 60s and early, like that psychedelic soul. Mm-hmm. And to me, this kind of has that feel. And this is that, it's one of this with like Cloud Nine and stuff are like the gateways into Motown hitting that psychedelic soul. And I think it just kind of has it. But it's just like you said, it's it's a moodiness and it's like kind of, it's simple in a way too. Like it's, you know, like if I hear cloud nine or Papa was a Rolling Stone, there's a lot going on, which I love. I mean, I love those jams by and Norman Whitfield's a part of them, but this one is just kind of like, just a simple thing. And, and you're just like, you're just like kind of this. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Mar- I feel you. Marvin it really highlights Marvin's voice. Yeah. I, I don't know of a song that highlights Marvin's voice more. Yeah. I mean, I can think, you know, Ain't no mountain high enough with him and Tammy, but that's still like it's a. I love him and Tammy together, like, and I think Tammy kind of shines a little bit more in that. Not that Marvin doesn't shine his own way, but this one, Marvin just knocks you like, like you're just like whoa, like something was inside this brother and he had to let it out. Like it's just a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm almost, I'm almost ashamed to say. I mean, I heard, I heard, used to hear this song on the radio, but. What made me kind of gravitate I, to this song a little bit? You know what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the California Raisins when I was yeah. a kid is, yeah. is what like really like reintroduced probably reintroduced this song into the culture for a lot of people. But but I just have I just used when I was a kid I used to watch those damn California Raisins on my screen doing this song. Nope. And it actually like endeared me to this song even more growing up. It was because Don't be of the ashamed. California. Say what you will about the California Raisins. Those commercials were great. A lot to say about them, but it reintroduced the 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 world to. I heard it through the grapevine. There's there's two commercials like there's this one and with Ray Charles. You got the right one, baby. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I like this. Who's this? This guy's this this nice old guy, this blind guy. And it's like, oh, this is Ray Charles. Then I started getting. I'm like, damn. Like I'm a little embarrassed. I heard him from Diet Pepsi, but like, but like it's <laughs> you know it's um. But no, I I knew exactly, and I think those commercials did bring him back, and I think it's kind of like. It's a shame, man. There's a sign of us getting older, and I only feel for our parents of, like, things are in the culture, then they're out of it. And, like, yeah, the California Raisins did bring this back where I felt like everyone knew this song. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like we're at a time where I don't know if everyone knows this song anymore. That's a shame because it's, I think, vocally, it's it's Marvin's best. Uh, Yeah, it it definitely might be Marvin's best. That's that's funny. Yeah, California raisins. Can you imagine trying to explain it? I'm gonna try to explain the California raisins next time I see my niece and my ne- my nieces and nephew. And just to try to, it's hard to explain the California raisins and how like big they were for a little period of time in pop culture. And I didn't even like raisins, but I love those commercials. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like raisins. I don't know. I love raisins. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, trying to explain it to the California raisins to somebody who kind who wasn't like really there at, around that time is, is kind of interesting, an interesting thought exercise to me. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. But you're, I, I thought of when I was making the list this week, um, I and I looked at this song, I I thought about it for sure, and I thought about uh the California. And I'm like, wow, like that's taking me back, and 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 but that did I think, which was the cool part about 
hey, that's pop culture yeah. is bringing stuff back. And, and I think it definitely, a song that was such a huge hit, you know, went to number one and it was one of their best-selling, you know, songs, Motown, I think um, it's awesome. I think it's awesome that that did bring it back as, as goofy as it was. Yeah, yeah. And it did uh, place really high. In 2004, uh, Rolling Stone released their uh, 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, and it was number 80 on that list. So that kind of surprises me a little bit that it wasn't just like, because I thought maybe some people would think of it as like a novelty song or think of it as a song that admin created for those California Raisins commercials. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. But uh, but I think it's really neat to see like number 80 on Rolling Stone's list from almost 20 years ago. But it did up in, even around that time. Like there was still an element of respect for the song. So when I, I looked up like where the, some of these songs place, I know what's going on. I think it was like in the top five mm-hmm. in, on, on that list. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised to see that, uh, that this song was number 80 on that list. No, I think, um, at that time in, in Rolling Stone, there still was the effect, like, you know, people don't realize it. Like, like I said earlier, Marvin Gaye as an artist, how big he was and his death, that was up there with Lennon dying. That was up there with, with Cobain. That was a huge, a, you know, a lot of people thought it wasn't, it can't be real for how young no, he was. And it was on April Fool's Day. Two were shocking. Yeah. As well. Just the whole thing was tragic. I wish I, I mean, I, I was alive technically when Marvin Gaye was alive, but I was, I think I was two when, when he passed away. So I don't, I don't remember him. I wish, I wish he had lived longer. The world lost a, a, an amazing person. I mean, the amazing musician. Uh, I know Marvin had like some demons, right? Like he was yeah. going through it for a long time. You had referenced it a little bit, but I mean, gosh, it, it would have been so wonderful to see him grow older and thriving, possibly put some more stuff out. Um, I could have seen him maybe to this day, you know, who knows? Like, yeah, no, he, he's one of those artists. And I think in all these, whether it's music or, or comedy, movies, TV, whatever the case may be, there's certain people like it's, it's tragic when anyone passes away, yeah. but there's, there's something, there's certain artists who you're like, I would love if they were alive, I would wonder what they would be saying about what's going on right now. And Marvin Gaye comes to mind when I'm like just a sensitive soul and how he reacted to what's going on. Um, I think about him and like, what, what would he be saying with stuff that's been happening? I mean, all the years that since he's been gone, but especially in the the recent, you know, past few years, what's been happening. He's a voice I, I wish we could have. So, uh, 100%. you know, he's, he's, He's definitely one of the the premier artists you think of when the first when you think of uh of Motown. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Jeremy, what without needing to expand on it, what's another? So, if I would have vetoed this song without without needing to expand on it, like what would you have hit me with? I would have went with Martha and the Vandellas dancing in the street. Yeah, I love that. Okay, how about you? If you you have if you had one more, what would you have picked? I would have picked probably Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, the tracks of my tears. Mm. I would pick Great that song. One. Yep. That was that was the one that I left off. I, I talked about that I had superstition, but Tracks of My Tears was the other one that I had. You know what's incredible is um there's so many like, you know, we mentioned what Stevie did. We really didn't go into the seventies mm-hmm. too too deep here, 
because you have you have the Jackson Five, and you know yeah. Motown gives us maybe the biggest, arguably the biggest artist of of all time with Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five, and there's someone I I thought. They did cross my mind, but I think, like you said earlier, I wanted to stick to a certain time, time like period as much as I can, and highlight some other artists. Yeah, so that even speaks to there can definitely be a part two of this episode. Uh, I would imagine a Michael Jackson episode would happen. We're both yeah. big fans of his music, so I imagine that a Michael Jackson episode is a is a very real possibility at some point here on Pop Culture Five. We just love Motown. It means so much to both of us. Thank you, Deremy, for picking this topic. No, thank you, Thomas, for you know doing it with me. And this was just so fun, and it it was great to just you know the, to do this research. It's it's almost not right to call it research because I just was having a blast this yeah. whole week getting ready for it, man. So. uh We'll we'll go over the the our list, and this will definitely be a part one because I know there's so many more to do. But Stevie Wonder, Fingertips Part Two, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, The Four Tops, Reach Out, I'll Be There, The Supremes, You Keep Me Hanging On, uh, and the fifth one, Marvin Gaye, I Heard It Through the Grapevine. So I'm gonna go jam yeah. out on all those songs right after. I this. know, right? Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Man, so Thomas, do you want to give the uh, the listeners a little preview into what you're picking next week as the host? Absolutely. So I have been reading, I actually finished reading a comedy book by Jesse David Fox. It's called Comedy Book, How Comedy Conquered Culture and the Magic That Makes It Work. It was a really great book. I know, Deremy, you, you, it was on in your reading queue. Uh, I, I have it. I don't know if you started it or not, but absolutely. Looking right at it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking right at my copy too. So it's uh, Jesse David Fox has a book called Comedy Book. Really great book. Breaks down all sorts of facets of comedy. So that got me thinking like, I'm a fan of stand-up comedy. You're a fan of stand-up comedy. We need to do a stand-up comedy topic. So next week on Pop Culture 5, we're going to be going over five essential stand-up comedy specials. So... That's Looking big. forward to that. I've already started rewatching certain specials, taking my notes, uh, looking at transcripts just to kind of get like the, you know, the writing down because I think a lot of stand-up comedy is like writing heavy, and I'm interested in that. So, so this is just uh, a fun one for me that I've already started researching. I cannot wait to talk with you about. Um, yeah, Jeremy, stand-up comedy. You excited? I'm pumped, man. I'm pumped. Um... I was excited because, you know, maybe I grew up listening to radio. You and I have talked off air about it, but um, the the first podcast, you know, I did, you did radio, I did radio. The first podcast that made me love the medium of podcasting was uh, WTF with Mark Marin. Absolutely, and and that just hearing him talk to other different comedians, some very well known, some not, but about the art form, the history, the stories. The, the battles that they go through as comedians. I, I love stand-up comedy, and it was really cool to hear uh, Jesse David Fox, in, you know, him talk about, he went on WTF to promote the book, yeah. and how that was a big goal and a big dream of his, to sit down in the, the, the legendary garage with Mark Marin and be interviewed. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, when we went the first times I was called a nerd, it, it was sports, and then 
comedy nerd. I, I, I love comedy, so I can't wait. And just to be clear, this is not – so no comedy albums. It's just like – I was I mean, thinking special, like TV yes. or – Yeah, or Netflix or whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. So right. that's a good so, distinction. Yeah. So, so we're not necessarily going to – it's not necessarily like comedy albums. That may be a whole different – thing just like stand-up specials as we know it like the one hour usually medium you know right yeah. right absolutely so no i i just want to make sure because i'm i'm like for the listeners but for myself yes but i'm, I'm ready man this this is going to be this is going to be a fun one yeah it's i know it's already been tough to when I, i've already i've started researching and i'm like oh this is a tough one it's a fun one but it's tough to to narrow down so yeah, it's it's one of the ones where I'm glad we keep it too essential. Sometimes yeah. essential can make it harder, and sometimes it can make it easier. I think this one makes it easier because if I was doing like a favorite, it'd be like, oh, well, I got to put this one on. I got to yeah. put that. Essential can make me stay focused. 100%. So, yeah, looking forward to it, Jeremy. Absolutely. So uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. Let us know how you feel. Uh, hit us up on Twitter or X at Pop Culture 5 Pod, or you can follow us on Instagram, uh, Pop Culture 5. So uh, for my tag team partner, Mr. Thomas Senna, I'm Jeremy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to Pop Culture 5. Peace. some such.